Hi, Creepers and Creepazoids. I'm Barry Marino. And I'm Philip Landry. And this, this is Open Shutter. Scary ghosts, creepy serial killers, all things that go bump in the night. Enjoy the view from the open shutters. <laughs> hey, Philip, what's up? Not too, too much. Just been relaxing, binge watching some TV, you know. Yeah, I know. We, we pretty much back in lockdown again. I had a particularly difficult week horrible gout attack i was walking with a cane for a few days and our lovely roz took me to urgent care and they gave me steroids yeah well i at least didn't have to go to urgent care but i had like arthritis in the hands and i had the whole winter eczema my hands literally look like a crime scene <laughs> <laughs> they're starting to heal up though thank god oh i was walking like a 90 year old man and it was every step was more oh painful my. than the other Anyway, yeah, well, you, what you you were watching? You were watching the, that Night Stalker Netflix. I did watch that. I want people to go watch it, so I don't want to say too much. And we probably are gonna probably this summer at some point when we we're probably gonna have a month where we do serial killers or something. We'll probably yeah. get into more about. I still that. got one more episode left, and I'm only gonna say one thing about what what I really didn't like about it. I really wish they didn't show us the crime scene photos. I don't like that. I mean. It depends on how you're looking at it. I think sometimes, in that case, it really needed to show how gruesome it really was. It really did. It really did show how gruesome it was. And I don't think, I mean, I'm not believing sugarcoating things, but I really could have lived without seeing all these innocent people in that position. I, I don't know. I found it a little disrespectful, but maybe that's just me. And I also, um, what else have you been watching? Oh gosh, I've been binge watching all kinds of things. Finally got to where I got to watch um, the fifth season of The uh, Magicians. They put it on Netflix. Well, I've been watching, you know, we've been binging The Big Bang Theory. It's kind of like a nice relief after doing these true crime things. It, it makes, it just takes a little of the edge off of things. So anyway, we got a really good show tonight. We, um, our, our second half deals with a lot of with my family. And a very, very famous local case. We're back in New Orleans again. We've been away from... We've been out of New Orleans yes. for the last few episodes. We're back home again. Back home. Oh, we have a couple obits here. First oh. one I'm going to... There's a lady named by the name of Angie Jazuts. She was from Survivor. She called. They called her No Fun Angie. I don't know what that's all about. But she passed away at the age of 40 after a three-year battle with cancer. She was a local New Orleans lady. Right. And uh, she was uh, her gravesite service was held last Wednesday afternoon in Metairie, Louisiana, which is a suburb of our great town. And guess who else we lost this week? We lost Joanne Rogers, Mr. Rogers' widow. No, that was, that was sad. But we never saw her, but we always knew she was there. God rest her soul. Yeah. She was amazing. She was 92 years old. Great spirit. And yeah, and really, really great lady. And uh, we also lost, you know, well, we had lost Roy a couple of years ago back, and now Siegfried's going too. He died at 81. And uh, he, the cause was pancreatic cancer. That's it. That always scares me. I, I had a grandfather pass from that. that so I've, yeah, seen, I've seen a couple of people I've known and it's real from what I can see it's really painful and I, the idea of having your last days like going through that kind of suffering is really frightening it's tough to watch somebody go from that now the big the big death here is somebody is a lot of mixed about this i mean this man has some positive stuff but he also has some big negative stuff that kind of overcomes the positive stuff it's phil specter he's a musical producer he he started what they called in the 60s the wall of sound and he he produced some acts like the Righteous Brothers, uh, with the, the the Ronettes, even Sonny and Cher. Um, but his last claim to fame is he was convicted of second degree murder because he took home this woman 
named Lana Clarkson. She was kind of a, um, a you know, a, an unsuccessful actress, and she was hosting. She was a hostess at this a function he went to at the House of Blues in in Los Angeles, and he brought her home. I don't know if it was for sex or drugs or anything like whatever they do when they come home from a function in L.A. But she wound up with a bullet in her head. Um, I, don't, I don't have nothing nice to say about him. Well, I, I, I honestly, honestly, even though he might have contributed whatever to music, honestly, there are stories and tales and accusations. He literally, and not to be totally mean about him, but I'll go ahead and say it. I think he really just tore treasure troll Chia Pet. I mean, well, he, um, he, he I, I read another article from written by Darlene Love, and she said she was saddened, but she says that, the way he treated her was just monstrous. He treated he a lot of to, women. Yeah. And he tried Horrible. to... He, he, he tried to... He got her to ch legally change her name. This is how stupid he was. She, her name was... Her, her, what was Her name was Knight. Her name was Darlene Knight. And he said that Darlene Love sounded better. It, ran, it rolled off the tongue. And he tells her, go ahead and change it legally because then that way the name belongs to, to you. And nobody can take it from you. So she did... And years later, after she left his his production, uh, his company, he tried to stop her from using her name, Darlene Love. Oh. She says, oh, no, no, baby. Thanks to you, that's my name. And yes, you cannot do yes, it at all. He was so you know, she finally sued him and got all the money. Good. All the money that he owed her. But uh, Phil, he, he was, all right, he was a talented man, but he was a very, very vile man. I will and say we're finding out, much. yeah, there's a lot of men like that. And speaking <laughs> of vile, Joe Exotic did not get pardoned. And speaking of vile again, oh, no. Carol Baskin said he belongs in the cage. She belongs in the cage. Well, I don't, I don't know. You know, she goes in the cage. She might become tiger food like her, her first husband did. Hmm. <laughs> I love this. You know what she said last week. She thinks that her first husband is still alive, and he's somewhere with memory loss, and you don't know who he is. Oh, please. Come on. And this woman will do anything to get into the limelight, and we're <sighs> just as bad as her because we keep on talking about her. I know. I can't help it. I mean, but it's, and she's such a train wreck, I can't help but talk, keep talking about her. <laughs> Oh, we, I didn't. I really haven't had a chance with the guy that I was dealing with to, to get any new shout outs. Oh, you didn't? No, this week. So we're going to shout out to some of our old friends. We're going to say hi again to our Don't Look Under the Bed girls, Justin and Shaughnessy. Yes, got to listen to the Exorcism episode this last week. Uh, how was it? It was excellent. I actually, I actually just went and kind of laid in the bed and listened to it. I don't know if I'm pretending I was having an exorcism or what was going on, but it was a good time. It was a good. It was the best one to listen to in the. There bed. have been a few times I've been wanting to throw holy water. I just made sure I didn't eat any uh, pea soup before I went and laid down. In the bed. Oh Lord! Oh good heavens! Oh, you had to go there, didn't you? Oh, and then uh, so anyway, um. <laughs> I want to also say hi to Mike at Son of a Witch. You said you listened to him too, yes, huh? I actually listened. Uh, I, I got to listen like, to a couple of his episodes. Definitely listened to his Sex Magic episode. Intriguing. I haven't heard that one. I have to listen intriguing, to that one. Intriguing. Intriguing. Actually, some stuff I kind of... I kind of knew some stuff I didn't know because actually, like I've studied where like where they do this some of the stuff with the Eastern philosophy, like the tantric or the Taoist sects. So yeah, so so he was talking about things that some things that I had heard, but some things that, well, especially on the Western side, I was very intrigued because I hadn't heard some of those things. Oh yeah, I gotta listen to that one. That one sounds interesting. That sounds fun. Yeah, I don't want to give nothing away. Yeah, <laughs> don't give any, don't give anything. Yeah, away. I need to go I'm listen not to into it. them spurlers. Oh yeah, no spoilers. <laughs> yeah, um. Yeah, I've got to listen to some more. There are so many. And, and, you know, we're up our Twitter followers. We're almost at 400 Twitter followers. Oh, my goodness. And just like two or three weeks that we have that account now. Well, just let me know when you get to 420. <laughs> oh, well, oh, I never did understand what that 420 stuff <laughs> You're making me feel like such an old man with the 420. We, we, we just called it blowing an herb or smoking a joint or whatever. We never called it 420. Uh, and uh, I was listening to uh, Justin and um, 
Shaughnessy's mysterious medical phenomena that was really, really interesting. I know. I just listened to that. I know you were in the other room listening to that while we were working. Yeah, on you were working on next week's episode. Yeah, now, next week's episode is going to be really interesting. Now, this week's episode, we are going to. Um... Oh yeah, so for next week, we're actually. Uh, I'll be getting to this week's uh, weekly horoscopes in a moment, uh, but we do want to mention that the weekly horoscopes next week are actually going to be hosting the first annual Blood Bath Tournament. Yeah, we're doing something a little new now. Huh? And we'll let you know more. I don't want to say anything right now. I'm going to tell you all more when we get to next. I've been listening to y'all to y'all our, getting it together. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's pretty intense. But I'll tell you, uh, you're doing some new things with the horoscope to keep things fresh. Oh, yeah. Even this week, we got some freshness going on. And this week's show, I, I got, is that, you know, this is, our, this is the third installment of our Personal Connections series. And this has a lot of personal connections. We're talking about a uh, famous serial killer from 100 years ago here in New Orleans, the New Orleans Axeman. And what a lot of people don't know is his final victim, Mike Pepitone, was my great uncle. So we're going to go into that, too. And uh, some talk about his widow and what her life was like after the murder. And I'm going to talk about her daughter, who I knew, too. I don't want to give too much away. I want to wait until everybody gets to it. I'm going to let you get to your horoscopes now. Oh, yeah. We got them. We got shopping lists for you this week. Shopping lists? Oh, yeah. So the weekly horoscopes, we're letting you know what supplies you need to go get, whether you need to find them, whether you need to hunt them down, whether you need to purchase them, whatever you need to do, we're letting you know what you need. For your son. Well, I can't buy anything online because my debit card is canceled because somebody, I don't know who, charged something. And, they, and when they, that happens, they cancel your debit card and you're without a debit card for a few days. Oh, that sucks. It's like not having any money. Uh, well, well, we'll see when we get to yours. Maybe you can still find a way to get what you need. Yeah. Well, let's start with Aries, though. Well, Aries, you need to get some keys to an armored vehicle. Two ultra high beam flashlights, 144 grenades, 30 pounds of extra dark roast ground coffee, and a Swiss Army knife. Oh my God! Why do they need all that? I don't know. It sounds like they're gonna blow up a lot of shit. Ugh. Well, you the bomber stuff, huh? Maybe so. Taurus. Taurus, y'all need to get 42 large diameter satellite dishes, a plot of land. For the satellite dishes to be placed. Satellite dishes. 24. Yeah, they're, they're going to be communicating with extraterrestrials or at least trying to hunt them down or something. Ah. 20, 24 boxes of moon pies, 10 feet high electric fencing, and lockdown shutters for all your windows. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, those. Oh, they're not going to have any open shutters? No, doesn't seem like they're going to have them. Yeah, they can't fall out the window. So it kind of seems like they're inviting the extraterrestrials, but they're also trying to shut them down themselves down for the purge. Oh. So it's like... It's kind of like, you know, coming welcome to my caller, one... says the spider to the fly. Right, exactly. Exactly. Gemini. Oh, rah, rah. Oh, yeah, rah. Y'all need to get 103 fluid ounce bottles of sardine oil, four fully grown Bengal tigers, 10 new webcams, a leopard print pantsuit, and an array of collars and leashes. Well, first of all, I don't think he likes sardines. Well, I don't think oh, the sardines yeah, he, are for eating. He's shaking, he's, he's, he's shaking his head. It's yeah, sardine yeah. oil. Oh, you ought to see the scowl on his face when you mention sardines. <laughs> Those oh my god, I've never quite I couldn't even describe that expression. I've never quite seen it before. Well you gotta get those Bengal tigers somehow to Oh now take I'm getting a dirty victims. look. <laughs> <laughs> did you want did did you want four Bengal tigers? I guess you go to Carol Baskin to get them. Yeah, maybe maybe yeah, yeah. <laughs> After they put her in a cage. Yeah. yeah. Why she wants to put Joe Exotic in there? I think I kinda wish that Trump would have would have pardoned him. And then going back and had done Celebrity Apprentice. You said this right. I was so with you on them this. On there, it, it would have been ratings magic having them compete against I each would, other. I would have probably watched uh, it. You know, like opening up for just pastry the, shop. Just the train wreck of it all. <laughs> you see the train wreck of Carol Baskin and Joe Exotic trying to run a pastry shop together. I oh, that it. would be freaking hilarious. <laughs> well, here we are at your son, Cancer. Oh, no. 
What am I doing? Well, you need to get a bone saw with an easy grip handle. Oh. Three heavy-duty industrial drums of hydrofluoric acid. Oh, my God. Five bales of Visqueen. Visqueen. Seven gallons of bleach. And a freezer full of frozen yogurt. That's what I just bought at Walmart. All of that? Yeah, all that. Oh, the whole, oh the wow. Whole okay. I didn't even know. I didn't know they were stuff. carrying all that at Walmart now. Which oh, Walmart have you been going to? They carry everything at Walmart. Maybe at Sam's Club, I would think. They're that. probably going to sell Bengal tigers from Carol Baskin at Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> Goodness. Well, talking about tigers and lions and bears, we're at Leo. Oh, that's my other sign, but that's Curtis's main Yeah. Sign. Leos need to get a truckload of hard alcohol, several five packs of cotton handkerchiefs, a pack of ten disposable lighters in assorted colors, the newest model of your favorite smartphone, and a five-pound bulk bag of Skittles. Because the bitches still want to taste the rainbow, even if they're going to be throwing Molotov cocktails. Oh, my goodness. The Skittles will go before anything. (laughs) Five pounds ain't enough. Five pounds? Oh, you, you, what you talking about? That's that's one episode of Big Bang Theory. Oh, okay. So <laughs> he's needed at least a minimum of three to get through. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. So a total of 15 pounds. We exactly, got it. Exactly, yeah. Virgo. Y'all need to get a large cast iron cauldron, a stockpile of firewood, a rural residence in the woods. Rural t- residence? A rural residence. I don't rural know. Resident. Rural residence. I know, that's hard. Rural, rural residence in the woods. <laughs> Tens of hard candy and some ancient texts from an online auction. That sounds like they're doing some witchcraft. They're doing some good stuff. Or thing. some kind mm-hmm. of conjuring of some sort. They're doing something out, out in them woods. Out in them woods. Libra. Ah. Y'all need... You're kind to Libra. Huh? You're never kind to Libra. Actually, I'm very kind to Libra. Which one is it? Oh, no, it's Capricorn. You really... Capricorn, is it? No, it's usually your sign I've been pretty mean to of late. You've been mean to... There's one of them you always mean to. I can't remember if it's Capricorn or Scorpio. You Sagittarius, you give them a hard time, too. Well, that was because that's my man. We're going to get to all of them. So, okay, we're Libra, right? Libra. Y'all need to get a cruise vacation to nowhere, or at least Bermuda. Some gas masks, a hazmat suits, the damn vaccine, and some neurotoxin packed into tiny vials. Oh, my God. I know, they're doing some crazy-ass shit. Yeah, they are. But not as crazy as Scorpio. Oh, my God, what's Scorpio doing? That's my sign, baby. They need Uh, to go look for a demon from a dating app. Two-way mirrors have them installed in the bathroom. Go find a Divic box on sale. Go get a Divic box on sale from an antique store. Some white chocolate macadamia nut cookies, and also sign up for a streaming service to binge watch their horror films. Oh, I have Shudder. Okay, well, well, that well, you're a Cancer. You've been some of the Scorpios a little late to the. Cancer. I got it. I got it. You know, one of those you know free trial, <laughs> and then I said, oh, I'm gonna, and then I said, oh, are you enjoying I- it? I am enjoying it. Yeah, excellent. I mean, it's just it's, it's overwhelming, like everything else. God knows, I got now. I'll have to be able to handpick what I want to keep since I got <laughs> a new debit card. <laughs> Sagittarius. Oh, y'all need to go get a six hundred foot spool of rope, an eight by six aerial rug, nine baseball bats, a blowtorch, and a pint of ice cream. What are they going to do with that? And what just a pint of ice cream? Just a pint? I'll give that, well, lately they've been complaining about That's their... That's half an episode of Big Bang. They've Bang. been complaining about their weights, but they're still trying to indulge. So only a pint, and they're going to claim that they're only going to eat maybe like a half or a quarter and try uh-huh. to space it out. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But then I've, you're going to find them that. in the middle of the night digging into the thing. I'll buy two pints. Say, I'll eat a little bit here and I'll eat... I'll I'm I'll a buy, Scorpio. I'll I go buy... Once. I go buy three or four or five pints, and I eat them whenever the goddamn hell I want to. Last night we went to Walgreens because they had a sale on all these sweet treats. And since I'm on steroids, I don't have to really, really worry about my blood sugar. It's high anyway. I said, oh, I'm going to buy two Cadbury uh, with nuts. They already bars. got those out. Yeah. Oh, shit. The Cadbury. They, they're always out. Walgreens has them all the time. Oh, okay. And, um, and I said, and I'm only going to eat a little bit at a time. Well, both of them were gone within 10 minutes. Just. All right. Well, Capricorn, 
Y'all need to get a slew of new social media friends slash victims. A little leather-bound black book, plenty of skin smooth and lotion, some 96-gallon extra-large black trash bags, and a pizza delivery order. Oh, well, that's something I can't do without a debit card now. Oh, that's a delivery order? <laughs> yeah. Oh, can't do anything. Shit. DoorDash, anything for a couple oh, days. Oh, good. What are you going to do, Barry? I know because, you know, I'm furloughed right now. That's like oh. DoorDash is like my lifeline to the real world. Once again, Aquarius, y'all are just kicking it. Y'all are getting all kind of good shit. Y'all get to go get a realtor to search for the perfect haunted mansion, a translation app developed by extraterrestrials, a seance chair with shackles, an assortment of edibles from your local dispensary, and a fog machine. That last sound like they're putting on a whole fucking production. Oh, wow. Fun. That sounds like fun. Well, y'all enjoy it, Aquarius. Some of us ain't going to have, we don't have it that well right now. So y'all enjoy y'all time. Pisces. Y'all need to go look for a property with an old farmhouse and some cornfields. Also, a cursed piece of jewelry, most likely a pendant or a necklace. That way it's right over the heart. Everything on the shelves at the local packaged liquor store. Also, a secondhand 22 caliber handgun, along with 666 bullets, because the satanic Bible told you so. Hey, farmhouses always creep me out for some Why do they, they, the most heinous crimes seem to happen in farmhouses? You know, the first true crime movie that I can remember seeing as a child, and I don't think my mom realized it was so intense, she took us to drive in, was In Cold Blood. Mm. And it was, you know, that Truman Capote story about that family that was a home invasion trying to rob them and they murdered the whole family. And the, the, the girl that was, the, the actress that played the girl actually has done some local theater and she's one of my Facebook friends. Her name is Brenda Curran. She actually listens to us. She's one of our listeners. So one day I want to do, I'd like to cover that, that story and maybe even interview her. That would be really cool because they actually filmed that movie at the pl- where the murder took place, at the crime scene. <laughs> Robert Blake and Scott Wilson played the two killers. And John Forsythe, remember him, Blake Carrington from Dynasty? But he played the detective. Oh, wow. And it was in black and white, real stark documentary looking. It kind of creeped me out when I was 11 years old. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was our weekly horoscope. So I want y'all to go have some happy horror shopping this week. And we'll be right back with you while Bar- when Bar- where Barry's going to tell us all about his family's connection to the Oh, X-Men. my family is. We need to do a whole week, on, a whole month on my family. <laughs> All right, we will be right back after the commercial. As some of y'all might remember, and if you're new to our podcast, I have another business that's finally become live on the internet. Oh, yeah. It's called Barry Marino's Craft Creations. I made afghans, table runners, hats, scarves, plus more. And more coming weekly. You know what the great thing is, Philip? We sell holidays all year round, so you would not have to wait till that time of the year to order what you would like and enjoy. That's great. Cool, huh? And thanks to Aras, there's Aras again. It's an easy, interactive website to see what has been posted and finally, wait, see what has been posted and guess what's in the next few days? What? Candles and soaps and bath bombs. With some of the fragrances you created. I did. (laughs) And we'll finally go live. Wonderful scents for the holiday or just for the season. Our holiday line will have something special like right now we have Mardi Gras. We're going to do a lot of Mardi Gras stuff. Matter of fact, I'm I'm currently making a Mardi Gras granny square afghan. And, uh... Guess what, Phil? What? And the Mardi Gras candles we put in the King Cake Baby. Oh, inside. you gotta put a King Cake Baby Yeah, in there. got to. So look uh, for our website today. It's called BarryMarinoCraftCreations.com. And it's spelled B-A-R-R-Y-M-A-R-I-N-O. And there's no S between O and the, uh, and the Craft Creations. So it's BarryMarinoCraftCreations.com. See you soon. Okay, we're back, and um, this week's episode is, you know, this is, we, we talked about personal connections, and i got a fairly big personal connection to this, 
not only is it the probably most famous serial killer in New Orleans, but also a member of my family is involved in this. We're going to talk right now about the Axeman of New Orleans. Do you yes. remember the Axeman on American Horror Story? Yeah, I mean, I'm a definitely a sensationalized, but yeah, I do remember it. it was... Yeah, wait. He was said to have been a ghost. And there are even people who think that he might have been a demon or he might have been a spirit, that he wasn't really a man. But it more than likely, I believe, was a man. And um, he was an American serial killer active in New Orleans, Louisiana and surrounding communities, including Gretna, from May 1918 to October 1919, basically 100 years ago. Now, um, his uh, victims were usually attacked with an axe, which belonged to the victims. So back in those days, people had axes. We didn't have... Okay, that's key, because... So, yeah, that's what's different. So they actually owned... It was... It was the victim's axe. Yeah. It's which is like, very different than what American Horror portrayed him walking around with his axe all the time. Yeah, no, no, no. What it is is the axe, people had axes back then because they had to chop wood or they had yeah. hatchets. And they did a lot of, uh, they had a lot of tools that we don't use Or you use had to scare today. your children occasionally. Oh, I don't think they used I'm just picking. I'm just children. I'm just picking. Oh, come on. <laughs> and in most cases... He would, he would come into the house by removing the panel of the back door and the door with a chisel. He would, like, remove the whole thing with a chisel. Wood chippers didn't exist back then. Roz is writing wood chippers. Ra, no, Roz. Yeah, wood chippers didn't exist back then. They, they didn't even have gas. Gas engines hardly even could make a Model T car. Come on. So anyway, and he would he he would get in by actually removing the whole frame of the door with a chisel. Wow! And uh, the crimes were not motivated by robbery. He never removed items from their homes, and the majority of his victims were Italian immigrants or Italian Americans, leading many to believe that the crimes were ethnically motivated. Now, um, his um, he wrote a letter to the to the local newspaper on May 13th, 1919. And this is, you want to hear it? It read, Hot as hell, March 13th, 1919. Esteemed mortal of New Orleans, the Axeman. They have never caught me and they never will. They have never seen me for I am invisible. Even as as either that sound surrounds your earth, I am not a human being but a spirit and a demon from the hottest hell. I am what you Orleanians and your foolish police call the Axeman. When I see fit, I shall come and claim other victims. I alone know whom they shall be. I shall leave no clue except my bloody axe besmeared with blood and the brains of he whom I have sent below to keep me company. If you wish to tell the police, be careful not to rile me. Of course, I am a reasonable spirit. I take no offense at the way they have conducted their investigations in the past. Hmm. In fact, they have been so utterly stupid as to not only amuse as to to not only amuse me, but His Satanic Ma- Majesty Francis Joseph, etc. But tell them be- to beware. Let them not try to discover what I am. For if if we're better that they were never born than to incur the wrath of the Axeman. I don't think there is any need for such a warning, for I feel sure the police will always dodge me, as they have in the past. They are wise and know how to keep away from all harm. Undoubtedly, you Arlenians think of me as a horrible, as a most horrible murderer, which I am, but I could be much worse if I wanted to. If I wished, I could pay a visit to your city every night. At will, I could slay thousands of your best citizens and the worst, for I am close relationship with the angel of death. Now, this is this is mm. this is the cool part. This is the part he says. Now, exact to be exact, at twelve fifteen earthly time next Tuesday night, I am going to pass over New Orleans. In my infinite mercy, I am going to make a little proposition to you people. Here it is. I'm very fond of jazz music, and I swear by all the devils. 
in the neither regions that every person shall be spared in whose home a jazz band is in full swing at the time I have just mentioned at the time I have just mentioned if everyone has a jazz band going well then so much the better for you people one thing is certain and that is that some of you people who do, who do not jazz it out on that specific Tuesday night if there be any will get the axe well as I am cold and crave the warmth of my fellow of my native Tartarians Tartarus and it's time it's about time I leave your earthly home I will cease my discord hoping that thou will publish this that it may well go with thee I have been am and will be the worst spirit that ever existed either in fact or realm of fantasy the axe man now whoa okay like, like we got to take a moment and take apart some of that yeah like we got to talk about that for a sec I mean number one yes he's constantly taunting we get that yeah Dr. Ripper did the same thing that all makes sense the jazz music's interesting because at the time this is we're not even full swing into the 1920s yet this is 1918 yeah. yeah so this is the early parts of jazz jazz is really kind of at its infancy but it's very strong in new orleans okay because yeah. this is where it was born and he's already viewing jazz as this progressive form of music that is supposed to be in his mind he's thinking it's debaucherous He's thinking it's going to loosen up people. He's expecting it to be this thing where people are going to let their inhibitions go. And that is why he sees them as lending into that debauchery. And he's okay with that. But he's not okay with anything else. And the thing about it is, is this is the day before recordings. You know, like today, you know, if somebody did that today, all you got to do is hit your playlist at Amazon Music and find jazz music and play it all night long. But back then, they had to actually hire a band to come to their house and play all night. Right, and and, and and we don't see this kind of thing of like this love of jazz is not competed with until later on when we get to rock and roll yeah. down the road. That is like the next stage of Well, something. every time there is a new form of music or something that the young people like, like it started with jazz, I'm sure it even goes back to waltz. But I mean, if, you know, as of the 20th century, it started with jazz, then it was rock and roll, then it was the psychedelic music, and everybody always says it's the devil's music, all the way down to hip hop well, most recently. Well, he is connecting jazz in a weird way. The way he's acting, he's trying to connect it to the demonic level. Yeah, he's purposely doing. Well, people that seem to think that people don't uh, people don't understand anything that's new, especially here in America. And, and when a new kind of music comes out, and the kids like it, and most recently it's been hip hop, is is that type of music. The adults hate it. And I'm sure jazz was no different. I'm sure it's something that young people like, but the adults didn't care for. So then the question is, and you proposed it, is, and it's very important because when you get into your family in a little while, is this idea of possibly what was his issue with the Italian community? I mean, what the, could it have well, been? Well, there were some that think that it might have been a mob thing. Which as which we, we, we'll get to later. Which means he didn't like the mob or he was part oh, of it? Oh, he was part of the mob. Oh, okay. Damn. Okay, well, then definitely. But that's intriguing. That is definitely... And this is the, the chief suspect was Frank Doc Mumphrey, uh, who we will get to later. That, that, that figure is very, very uh, much and, in my And family. we do have to make a note at this time, because I actually had a great-grandfather that was Italian. You had a lot of Italian fam family in the past and that were living well, in the New Orleans area. And even lending into the 1920s, a lot of Italians were looked down upon. Oh yeah, they, they, I mean, they, I hear stories from. Well, th there was um, the case of, uh, I believe it was the 1880s. The uh, chief uh, David Hennessy was murdered. What they thought was a mob. He was walking home. He lived where, like where the central business district is now, and he lived alone with his mother. And some one of the the, the one of the officers dropped him home because they had been getting threatening letters, and he was gunned down. And when they asked him, he was still alive when, when, the, when the man came to him and he says, uh, who did this to you? And he said, Dago's. 
So they started lynching just any Italian person they could find. They were pulling innocent people out oh, yeah, of their my houses. Great, my great grandfather tells me about being called, you know, different names and stuff. No, they're yeah. ugly and Dago's WAP was one of them. All of that. Where WAP was mm-hmm. is when they came back from L- uh, WAP is what we now call an illegal alien. Uh, they would come back. Sometimes they had to correct papers. Sometimes they didn't have the papers. And if, if, they, if they didn't, they would get a stamp on the Ellis Island paper, WOP, without papers. Mm-hmm. And people without papers would look, and it wasn't only Italians, it could be Irish, any type of immigrant, German, any type of immigrant, but it's kind of a name that stuck with Italian immigrants. Yeah, they always seemed, you know, there's always seemed, there always seemed to be this, this, this stigma that was thrown on them. And, and I remember my great grandfather telling us so much. But yeah, just trying to get that framework, I definitely continue your story, but I wanted to definitely mention how important that framework was trying to understand that now we're gonna uh we're gonna gonna just kind of go cover the victims real quick the first victim was joseph maggio he was an italian grocery a grocer and his wife Catherine maggio were attacked at may may 23rd 1918 while he was sleeping alongside home and uh the home was on the corner of upper line and magnolia street uptown and they were con- uh, they conducted a bar room and a grocery. The killer broke into the home and then proceeded to cut the couple's throat with a straight razor. Mm. And upon leaving, bashed their heads with an axe. Now uh, Joseph survived the attack, but died minutes later. Uh, Catherine died immediately, and they had been discovered by the brothers Jake and Andrew Maggio. Now Andrew was a barber and had brought a razor home from his barber shop and that was a razor that was used in the murder and people oh, he, he was a he was a major suspect in that killing but they never defined enough evidence now mrs maggio's throat was cut so deeply that her head was nearly severed from her shoulders now second uh, uh the next victims were uh lewis uh Bessemer, and his mistress, Harriet Lowe. They were attacked in the early morning hours of June 27, 1918. In the quarters at the back of the grocery, which was located on the corner of Dergemont and La Harpe. Not far from here. It was in the Gentilly area. Not far from Another the grocer? What was his issue with grocers? Well, that's what a lot of the Italian immigrants had. Well, I knew, I knew that. Yeah, yeah. Now, were they actually Italian of the names? Not these. No, this was a German man. and he was a Ah, uh, but once again, another immigrant. And a bakery driver found them. And then um, Harriet said that he did it, that, that Lewis did it, and then tried to cover it by hitting himself with the axe. But nothing ever came of those But charges. still a lot of immigrants are yeah. immigrant descent. Yeah. yeah. Now next was Anna Schneider. This was a German immigrant. Yeah. And she was attacked in the early evening hours of August 5th, 1918. She was eight months pregnant. Oh. And... Um, she was 28 years old. She lived on Palmyra Street in Mid-City. And she awoke to a dark figure standing over and it was bashed repeatedly. She survived and gave birth to a healthy baby girl. Now next we have Joseph uh, Romano, who was an elderly man living with his two nieces, Pauline and Mary Bruno. And on August 10th, 1918, Pauline and Mary woke up to the sound of commotion in the adjoining room where their uncle resided. And they discovered that their uncle had taken a serious blow to the head, which resulted in two open cuts. Uh, the assailant was seen fleeing as they arrived, and the young girls were able to distinguish that he was a dark-skinned, heavy-set man who wore a dark suit and a slouched hat. Now, uh, Romano was able to walk to the ambulance, but he died two days later with severe head trouble. Ugh. And... Uh, Next victim was uh, Charles Cordomiglia. Miglia. He was an Italian immigrant who lived with his wife Rosie and an infant daughter. This happened in Gretna, which is a suburb across the street, across the river from New Orleans. So he was just going whatever neighborhood yeah. he wanted to go to. And the next one, the wife and the, 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 the husband and the wife survived, but the baby died. And they were... Um, They um, had blamed a um, a neighbor by the name of Frank Cord. Uh, what's his name? I gotta look at these notes. I'm sorry. 
That's okay. Ah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, Carl Meagle, and, and they had uh, Frank Giordano was a was a neighbor, and the Rosie said that he did it, and but with no he evidence. was charged. They just claimed it. Yeah, he was charged oh. and convicted and sentenced to hang, and almost a year later, Rosie announced she had falsely accused the two out of jealousy, and a statement was the only evidence. So, thank God we have more guys. Thank God we have more types of evidence nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> now, number 10 was Steve Bach, our grocery attacked in his bedroom as he slept by an axe-wielding intruder on August 10th, 1919. He awoke to find a dark figure looming over his bed. Upon regaining consciousness, Bacher ran to the street to investigate the intrusion and found that his head had been cracked open. And he ran to the home of his neighbor, Frank Tenjusa, where he lost consciousness and collapsed. Nothing had been taken from the home once again, and the panel on the back door had been chiseled away. Bacher recovered from his injuries, but could not remember the, any of the details of the trauma. Sarah Lumman was attacked on September 3rd, 1919. She was a young woman who had lived alone, and someone broke into her home when she didn't answer. They discovered a 19-year-old laying unconscious in bed, suffering from severe head injury, and missing several teeth. The intruder had entered the apartment through an open window and attacked the woman with a blunt object. A bloody axe was discovered on the front lawn. And she recovered from her injuries and couldn't recall the attack. Now we come into my family. Right. Uh, Mike Pepitone was attacked on the night of October 27, 1919. His wife was awakened by a noise and arrived at the door of his bedroom just as a large axe-willing man was fleeing the scene. Mike Pepitone had been struck in the head and was covered in his own blood. Blood spatter covered the majority of the room, including the painting of the Virgin Mary. Mrs. Pepitone, mother of six children, was unable to describe any characteristics of the killing, and the Pepitone murder was the last of the alleged Axeman attacks. Now that, Mike Pepitone, that is, that's my great uncle. His wife, Esther, is my grandmother's sister. Now, um, there are some accounts, some people who may believe that it wasn't an Axeman murder. Because uh, from what I'm reading, Michelle Mike Pepitone was uh, not a very nice woman, not a very nice man. Uh, he had been charged with a murder back in like 1910, and some think that this was a vendetta. And they were the masking family. it as yeah. the Axeman, maybe? And, well, this was, they, were, they were thinking that he was, you know... That it was a vendetta killing, and they, they and it was attributed to the Axeman. And they just used that time and place, yeah. Yeah, and because um, where is it that here? It says, um, because his head had been bashed 18 times with at least oh one weapon, and it was hard to tell just what had happened because his skull was so badly damaged, and it was battered into almost an unrecognizable mass. Now, Ooh. Esther, Ann Esther told the police that she caught a glimpse of two shadow figures in the darkened bedroom, but she couldn't identify the man. And the two wordlessly slipped towards the back of the house through the room where two? Pepitone, six children, was sleeping and exited through the back door. Now, she said he was in agony, and every time he turned his head, blood came from his head. She threw open the window and been screaming, and the 11-year-old daughter, who we're going to talk about a little bit later, right. wound up becoming the murder victim herself. But the, the, you she just brought up that two figures. Yeah. The accident was known to work alone. Yes. And another thing, too, that I noticing huh? that nobody else is noticing. First of all, she says, you know, they asked, how did she sleep while her husband was being attacked as she was laying next to him? And then another account says she came to the door and saw the man. So did they have separate bedrooms? Or was she sleeping next to him? How bad was their marriage? <laughs> I'm wondering because, okay, I'll tell you, out of all her, um, I, I didn't know, I knew, I never knew her or Mike. They both died way before I was born. I knew their daughter, Josephine, who was the, who would have been. Well, didn't people sleep in separate beds back then, though? Uh, no, because some of these ones, the, the wife is sleeping next to the husband. Oh, that's right. We are talking about Italians. Here, yeah, so. I don't think they slept in separate beds. They, but didn't, have, they didn't have those One issues. account says that she came to the door and found him. Another account said that she was laying next to him. And why, if she was laying next to him, why did they hit her, too? 
Right, something's not something's not adding and up. And there's always been a rumor in the family that she may have been less than faithful. There was also a rumor that one of the kids wasn't his. Oh. Mm. Now, she, um, I tell you, I knew her, um, her daughter, and then we're going to talk a little bit more about, about her. But after uh, the murder happened, she moved to L.A. Now, family gossip and family legend <laughs> really glamorizes this and makes it sound like a movie. My mom told me she rode to L.A. on houseback looking for the man that killed her husband and gunned him down on the street. Well, that's not what happened. She actually moved. Wait, L.A. from New Orleans on horseback. On, on horseback. Oh my gosh! You know how in nineteen twenty, in nineteen twenty-one, she moved to L.A. with her kids, had got an apartment and everything, a house, and it was there she married a man named Angelo Albano, who was not only a distant cousin because her maiden name was Albano, but was also the widow of her sister Jenny. Jenny, Jenny had a lot of bad luck. I got to tell you. In the 1915 hurricane, the roof blew off a house, and in the um, and uh, a few year, a couple of few years later, she died of yellow fever the same day as her daughter. And he, so she, he was her widower. Uh, she married her sister's widower. I think that type of thing may have been pretty common in Italian yeah, families, and even marrying distant cousins. Because they wanted to keep the race pure, you know. Did that happen in the Bible some, too? <laughs> yeah. But anyway, she married her sister's husband. And he goes out one day saying that he's um, he's going to get vegetables for dinner or something. And they said they saw him at the farmer's market, but he never returns home. Hmm. And she never, uh, it, it, she, he was never seen again. Nobody ever saw him again. Now, um... Okay, yeah. So later that day, a man named Frank Mum. Uh, what was his name? John Mumphreys. Yeah. Well, this is another reason too. Peter Pepitone was uh, was Mike's father, and he confessed that he had shot a um, shot and killed a man named uh, De Christina in front of the building while his Mike Mike slept. So that's why they thought that maybe that was a vendetta that killed him. It might have been right. the, the De Christina family killing him to make make uh, make up for the the murder of that other man. Now, um, after her murder, she moved to L.A. and just before the way, and where she married Angelo Albano. That was her brother-in-law, her sister's widow. So he, um, Angelo Albano disappears. And uh, right before the wedding, Angelo Albano had dissolved a business partnership with another New Orleans man named Doc Mumphrey, who was living in San Bernardino, California. Doc Mumphrey was known a long list of names, including Joseph, Leone, Leon, Frank, and a lot of last names like Manfrey, Mumphrey, Mumphrey, and even Humphrey. <laughs> Mumphrey. <laughs> he was a pharmacist by day, but he led a double knife because in 1908 he was convicted of tossing a bomb in the grocery store in New Orleans. Hmm. And then uh, numerous other scrapes with the law. So, two years to the day, on October 27, 1921, two years to the day of the slaying of Mike Pepitone. That's when Angela Albano left home, humming a happy tune to buy vegetables for dinner, according to a story in the Los Angeles Times. This is too much with the groceries. <laughs> Everything's around grocery stores and groceries. I mean, what was going on at the grocery stores? Italians like to eat. Haven't you but there was that? so much oh, drama. It's all out about food. But see, later on, later on, most crimes happen at the restaurants, not and not, not at the grocery store. Now they said they had seen back them at then the it market, the and then they saw him make a withdrawal at the <laughs> bank. And he was never seen again. Nobody ever saw him. Sorry. So about a week or so later, after her husband went missing, uh, Esther approached Mumphrey and asked him if he knew anything about disappearance, and he told her no. He said he wasn't aware that they were even married. And he says he has, uh, but someone uh, said, uh, Albano has a big house and plenty of money, and he's being held for some of that money. His wife will be asked for it when things quiet down. 
So on December 5th, 1921, about noon, Esther and her three children at home in Los Angeles when Doc Mumphrey knocked on the door. When Esther went to greet him, he placed his hand in his hip pocket and demanded $500 of my jewelry, as she later told the police. He stated that if he didn't give them the home, give him, if they did not give them the home, he would kill me the same way he had killed my husband. Apparently referring to Angelo Albano, that's what Esther believed. Could have been referring to Mike, Mike Piptone, too. We don't know. She had two husbands Probably. murdered. Mm -hmm. I guess woman, what they used to call that, a white liver or something? I don't know. Black Widow. So Esther something. went to her bedroom and got her thirty-eight caliber revolver and fired it at him. She missed at first. But as as he struggled to remove his own gun from his pocket, she hit him. She and handled she the business. emptied the gun into him. Continued shooting until he slipped down the steps. And then grabbed the second one and emptied that one into him, too. <laughs> this one was a badass, you know? She really was. He slid nearly to the bottom of the steps lifeless. And any secrets he had died with him. And then that's Alabama went to the grocery store next door. And they asked the man working there to call the police. So, um, the coroner's report, he, he went in California by Leon Jane Manfrey, and he was hit by eight bullets. The cause of death was a gunshot to the head, chest, abdomen, inflicted by Esther Albano. But whether the homicide intent or in self-offense was unable to determine, and there was a twenty-two caliber pistol found in his hip pocket. Like we said, I just, I just imagine Esther after she's like shot these bullets, she's just like blowing on the guns like... <laughs> well, like Betty Davis in the letter, you know. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's what I see, you know. <laughs> so uh, her first husband had been murdered. Second husband had disappeared. And now at the age of 42, which is wrong here. She, wouldn't, she wasn't 42. She would have been 32 at this time. She was uh, found She found herself on trial for murder in the shooting death of Mumphrey. But she, uh, she was acquitted on April 10th. 1922, and they just the jury deliberated only 40 minutes, and she was acquitted. So she returned home, and uh, she she actually ran grocery stores again. I think I would want to run grocery stores after all of that. Would you? I don't know. Okay, now <laughs> now uh, there is a lot of um, family legend about her. There was a, there, there was rumors that one of her children did not belong to Mike. Well, the thing is, you were just talking about her going back to groceries, or I just want to mention, I'm like, hey, at this point, she's probably known as Esther the Vigilante. Nobody's going to screw with her. Well, it's also a rumor <laughs> that she was having an affair with Mumphrey. Exactly. Nobody's, nobody is going to mess with this woman. She's, she's so bad. Well, he went awesome. mess. He didn't realize that he was going to get shot. So anyway, um, I remember my mom telling me some stories about her. Oh, my mom it. was a little girl. That, that, uh, Diane Esther died in 1940 at the age of 50. Which has her made, which has would have her born in 1890. Yeah. Now, if 1922 she was 42, that would have had her born in 1880, and that's not true. That wouldn't have been her the, the right her right. Uh, she wasn't 42; she was 32 when this happened. Yeah. And she had already had six kids, but you know, a 32 year old woman in 1921 and 1922 had already had six kids, especially an Italian woman. Some of them had used birth. Some of them had 14, 15 by that point. Now. Uh, <laughs> I remember um, my mom saying that she was watching him. I don't know for some re what, what reason my mom was there and her daughter-in-law was there. And she said that Esther was like really, really, really cheap. And my and her daughter-in-law lived with her. And she used to like to make fudge for the kids. And yeah. Esther didn't like that because she had to use all her sugar. Wow. So, <laughs> so she says... She loved to go to the movies. Barbara Stanwyck was her favorite actress. And anytime there was a new Barbara Stanwyck picture playing, Esther was there. So she told her daughter-in-law, she said, Look, I'm, the, I'm, I'm going to the movies. You better not make any fudge and use up all my sugar. She goes, Oh, no, Mama, I won't. So when Esther leaves, she tells the kids, she goes, don't worry about that old bitch. We making some fudge anyway. And she starts making the fudge. I didn't know that Esther was peeking in the window and called her. Oh, God. And my mom said, you know, she said, you know something? Sometimes I wonder whether she was really sitting in the movie theater when she would go out there. Now, I didn't, she, of, of the six kids, the uh, oldest daughter, Rosalie, 
uh, wound up in 1953. She was murdered by an abusive husband. I have been trying to find news stories or something about that. I guess I would have to go to the city where it happened and go to their newspaper. The actual archives, archives gave the there was even nothing online, yeah. on online about it. But her find the grave has her dying at the age of 44, 1953, which is consistent with the family stories I had been told. And from what I heard, she had a very abusive husband, and he killed her. And when they found her on her back porch, she was nude, and there were cigarette burns all over her body. Mm. Almost like the Sylvia Likens kind of thing. And my mom said that she was like a sweet, sweet lady. She remembered her. Now, I did know the daughter that would have been, well, let's see, Josephine, who we call Joe Pep. And Joe, okay, this is, this is a more family story. My mom had this tendency to give people nicknames. And sometimes the nicknames were not complimentary. And sometimes they would piss people off. Why not? So she called, my, uh, Joe Pep was only like 4'11". She was a little bit short woman. I had a grandma that was like that kind of short. Like, and, yeah. and my mom called her, she used to say she was short like a little pickle. Oh no. So my mom named, yeah. nicknamed her Pickle when she was a little girl. <laughs> And she even uh, she even gave her she even called a picarina. <laughs> oh <laughs> so, no! So <laughs> uh, I can't. Cousin Joe Pep didn't marry until she was in her thirties, which was you know old maid back then. She was like maybe in her early thirties, and she married a man that was like five or six years her junior. Hardly a cougar, but you know still age appropriate, but you know kind of scandalous back then. And his name was Jack Barron. And I remember Joe Pep and Cousin Jack coming over to our house, and they had a daughter named Cheryl. And Joe Pep was really nice. But I got a cute little story considering the pickle thing. My aunt, no, my, my uncle married his girlfriend, my Aunt Joan, in the mid-50s. And every time, you know, they, talk, they would talk about pickle. And pickle this, pickle that, pickle that. Never, she, so she was coming over to the house for dinner from um, Alabama. She talked like this. She talked real fast. And so they come in and Joe Pep and Jack are there. And she's, oh, Pickle, honey, look at you. I have been hearing so much about you. You want a Coke, Pickle, honey? Angelo, go get Pickle a Coke. And Angelo and my mom are like, ah! <laughs> and she says, poor Joe Pep had the misfortune of wearing a green outfit, wearing a green dress. Oh, shit. Oh, honey, look at you in that little green suit. You look so cute. You really do look like a little pickle. And my mom pulls her in and she goes, Joan, stop that. Don't say that anymore. She says, what you talking about? That's her name, ain't it? She says, no, you got to call her Joe Pep or Josie. Wait, she says, you don't so call really? her pickle. We don't call her pickle to her face. She says, what's y'all's fault? All I ever hear y'all call her is pickle and pickerine. I thought that was a woman's name. Wait, it gets better. Oh, no. They had a two-year-old on it. No. I don't know. And Cousin Joe Pep's sitting there. And the little girl gets on her lap. And she looks at it and she says, I know her name. And Cousin Joe Pep says, oh, honey, what's my name? She goes, her name's Pickle. Uncle grabs her, takes her from Darling. Don't call that lady Pickle. <laughs> call her Joe Pep. But her name's Pickle. <laughs> you see, that's, that's the kind of thing. That's my family. I, that, that's my family in a nutshell. Now, I'll tell you, I, knew a lot, I remember a lot about Joe Pep. And one Thanksgiving, Joe Pep and Cousin Jack, and they had a daughter named Cheryl. Cheryl was really sweet and really pretty. You know who she looked like? You know Jeannie Francis from the soap operas? She played Laura and Luke and Laura in the General oh, Hospital. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. She looked like her. And uh, they came to my house for Thanksgiving. And for some reason, Cousin Jack had to leave. And Joe Pep and Cheryl stayed behind. And they watched, at that time, the big TV show that everybody wanted to watch was Peyton Place. It used to come on. It was a, the first nighttime soap, and it used to come on twice a week. Back then, that was scandal. That, oh, was, it was, that it, was the show to watch. It was like Desperate Housewives was about 20 years ago. It was like um, uh, Dynasty in Dallas. Oh, and, yeah. And, and Falcon Crest and uh, 
Uh, Melrose Place would have been in the 90s. It was that kind of show. It was that popular. So they stayed and they watched, um, they watched Peyton Place, and they watched another show that was a really big hit after that, Bewitched. Oh, who, who didn't love Bewitched? So Bewitched, they came on Thursday nights. They came on that night. So we drove Joe Pep home, and I remember we went inside the house, and sitting on the TV was a picture of this very severe-looking woman, an old black-and-white picture. Looked like it had been taken 20s and 30s. Well, everybody back then, you couldn't smile in the pictures, okay? And she had... You had to sit for them, so yeah, they couldn't smile. She had like a widow's veil on, and she just has a... And, and you know how those veils had like... The, you know, right, the right. And it looked like there were spots all over her face. I went, oh, why is this like you have spots? Who is this? And my mom came in, and she said, this is Anesta, Joe Pep's mom. <laughs> I said, oh, okay. That's who that is. And she kind of scared me a little bit. And I, kinda, I thought about that picture a lot after that. But anyway, um, so, uh, yeah, Joe Pep, um, and then we never saw, they used to come by our house all the time. But around, about the, when I started going to high school, they stopped, we didn't, they didn't come over much, but then mm. we'd see him at weddings, or we'd see him at, and the last time I remember seeing Joe Pep and Cousin Jack was in 1988, and it was my Uncle Jerome's uh, wake and funeral. And I remember uh, Jack telling me, they both were old at the time, they were both elderly, and he remember him telling me he was 71 and Joe Pep was 76. And Joe Pep died in 2001, Cousin Jack died in 2006. But anyway, um, yeah, that, that, that's uh, how my family was affected by the Axeman. Now, another thing, another story I heard actually from Joe Pep herself that tells me that Mike Pepitone was not a nice man. And she says one day they were getting into the carriage. Yeah, this is a long ago. Well, she was born in 1912. Oh, yeah. And something, I don't know, she didn't like the way her shoes were fitting or something. And he hauled off and slapped her in the face. And she said he was a mean son of a bitch. She said, every day, night before I go to bed, I thank God that that son of a bitch is dead. So when your daughter, who was only eight years old when you were murdered, is happy that you were murdered, you couldn't have been <laughs> a very nice person, could mm. you? Mm. So what do you think about my family? Entertaining. Um, but I think there's a lot of love there. Because, I mean, the fact that you still know the stories, you even grown up with them telling you the stories... And stuff being passed. I mean, it just—it shows, however crazy and wild and hilarious it was, there's still love. They still cared about everyone. Yeah. Well, my mom's side of the family is the interesting side, and I hope I, I, I'm kind of glad. I think I took after that side because my dad's side's pretty. My dad's side's a little bit more, um, a little bit more laid back. Well, and I gotta admit though, I mean, I have to tell you, like. My great grandfather, I was saying, who was Italian, he always had the best stories. Like, yeah. he, they, it's some, I, I mean, I'm not trying to make a stereotype here or anything like that, but in all honesty, I think it had more to do with just the Italian American communities knew how to live life. Yeah. They knew life could be short, they knew to put the most and put passion into life, and that's just part of community. And we see that in many other immigrant communities as well like not not even the ones from that era but even more recent eras yeah. you know and i think it's this thing of where when you know you're being oppressed you know your kids down you know you're having to work hard to get somewhere in life you try to appreciate the small moments and make the most of everything and that's why there's these stories are so full of well, you know vim and vigor and everything yeah and uh now, I'm going to get back to the Axe, axe Man. Do you think the Axe Man killed Mike, or do you think that was a, a, a vendetta family between families? It's tricky. I mean, I go to the fact that I still go into the fact she saw two shadows. Yeah. Everything known about the Axe Man, and even if you look at the letter, it's clearly he's not having a system. You know, he is literally working on his own. I'm going to show you some pictures. I think you've seen some of them, but I'm going to show you these here now. Oh, we're up to 400 followers on uh, uh, Facebook. This is Mike and Esther's wedding picture. He's a very handsome man, but look, these people look like they're in their 30s, don't they? They're probably only teenagers. Huh. And uh, look at Mike. He he's actually was a very good-looking man. Look at him. Very, very, very strong uh, kind of face. Very, uh, very attractive man. He looks like he had a nice build. And I'm going to show you, I had to go to her find a grave picture, but 
I'm going to show you a picture of Joe Pep. Uh, yeah, and you're going to see how she. Uh, and we are going to post these um, pictures. Yeah, on, yeah well, on there, the are, some media. of them already are. But I'm gonna put, I, I haven't posted uh, Joe, Joe Pep's picture yet. But well, there she is, Josephine Barron. Uh, let's see where. Wait, that's not her. I got to Josephine. Oh, well, look at this. Well, this while is, you're looking for it, I mean, I'm just going back to what you'd ask of the Axeman is like. Yeah. We know that, but it's also just the thing about it is. It just seems sort of like it was all contrived to look like it. Now, this is the old, she's older in this Because when you compare to some of the other. She oh. must be in her 70s, but can't you oh, see wow. that, don't you see the resemblance to her mother? Yes. Very yes. much. That's the poor pickle lady. And the baby, it must be one of her grandkids. That's, <laughs> but uh, that's, that's Joe Pep. Because if you look at some of the other murders, it looks like they were very quickly done. It was basically... You, you, you see in which how he did it, it looked like it could be done by one person. Whereas this murder was completely different. Yeah, and we're going to post... A, I'm, I posted the pictures of, of Mike and Esther, and, uh, but I'm going to post a picture of Joe Pepp on social media. Yeah, um... My family is very, very interesting. I could, we could do, we would do a whole podcast on them and have enough material for over a year. My mom alone would be a whole month. It's, yeah. But you know, I am proud. I'm glad that I, I come from that kind of stock. I'm glad that I come from entertaining people. <laughs> so anyway, um, I hope you guys enjoyed this and you enjoyed my, uh, our, um, my story of my crazy sordid it was wonderful. Family. I, enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. There's a lot. It's a huge family too. Now you can find us on uh, follow us on Twitter at a shutters. Uh, follow us on Instagram at Open Shutters Podcast, and on Facebook we are the official page for Open Shutters, a creepy podcast. We have another one called Open Shutters, a creepy podcast, but it's a private page that only Facebook friends of mine can uh, can come to and you can if you have any questions or you want to make any comments and I want to get some more comments from some of you listeners out there we don't get any comments and I'd like that to change because I like to read some of the things you have to say and how you what you think or if you have questions we'll answer yeah. them we'll and, answer. If it, and it doesn't have to be about this episode you could be about any of the other episodes that we've done uh, so you can email us at openshutters at yahoo.com that's openshutters at yahoo.com so um, next week uh, we what what we do it next week? Well, we're gonna we're gonna explore a local cryptid, the New Orleans Grunch. But a lot of the episode we're gonna be having this. It's really be a fun comedy episode where we're gonna have the weekly horoscopes putting on the first annual bloodbath tournament. Oh, and wow, that just, sounds like fun. Oh, it's gonna be wild. It is definitely gonna be wild. I just I just I, I I'm itching to say things, but I want to save it for the episode next week. So so anyway. Uh, Hey, you guys have a good week and uh, enjoy the view from the open shutters. But don't fall out the window. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.